welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, the only show that takes a look at the obstacles and opportunities open to small to mid-sized enterprises that manufacture here in America. Brought to you by All Metals and Forge Group, with your hosts, Tim Grady and Lou Wise. Welcome, everyone, back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Lou, how are you today? I'm doing terrific, doing terrific. Thank you. I'm excited about our guest today, but before we get to our guest, I know that you've got a postscript and a news item you want to share as we expand our uh, audience here to be the voice of manufacturing globally. Lou, what have you got? Last week we had uh, Sandy Montabano, who spoke uh, for... Reshoring Initiative, um, and um, Harry Moser was uh, is the head of that organization. Uh, unfortunately, he was not there, but Sandy uh, spoke very well for the organization about what's going on in regards to manufacturing coming back to America and standing for good-paying jobs and skilled labor and so on. It was a terrific show. Um, it was uh, it was a one hour show, and she really knew her stuff. And I would highly recommend anyone who may have missed that show to go to mfgtalkradio.com and go to last week's show, and you'll get uh, some very interesting insight uh, from Sandy. Uh, regarding news, uh, this is not necessarily new news, but it may be new news for most of you. Um, the issue of importation and exportation uh, at the L.A. port, now being called the L.A. port disruption, seems as though that we've got several unions that are creating havoc out there, and our imports aren't coming in and our exports aren't going out. Um, the trucks are complaining because of uh, this uh, ish, these uh, labor issues out there. Uh, perpetrated by two unions, have jammed up the ports, have jammed up the harbor, and there's a line going into L.A. port uh, out into the ocean, uh, and there are significant delays uh, by delays of weeks uh, that uh, goods are not coming in and they're not going out. America may need, uh, America does do uh, reshoring and bringing manufacturing jobs back to America, but we also do need product from overseas. And uh, if we ever think we're going to get away from that, uh, we're not totally thinking clearly. Um, there has been a, um, a document submitted to President Obama, uh, written by 61 national and international organizations a letter begging him to get involved, to do something about what's going on out there, uh, being that it's also uh, uh, the biggest consumer um, uh, market uh, during Christmas and, and New Year's. Um, however, uh, Mr. Obama, uh, in his infinite wisdom, has stated that the unions can take care of this issue themselves. Well, Mr. Obama has been wrong before, and I sense that this is going to be a major issue, and it may even kick off uh, a very bad first quarter for 2015. 
Uh, even the railroads are now complaining because they're not getting containers to ship to the center of the country. So it does expand very deeply into our economy. And frankly, the mainstream media is not really picking up on it because it has doesn't have the name Ferguson in front of it. So uh, they're not talking about it. And the government has no sense of talking about it because we have no patriots left. So all of that being said, and now that I've taken my pot shot at Washington, and uh, I did name somebody this time, didn't I, Tim? <laughs> well, so, you made a lot of good made a lot of good points, Lou. Obviously, you know the retailers are going to have a tough time because they can't get the goods they ordered. Uh, buyers in Asia are canceling orders for Christmas trees, potatoes, apples, all the things that we export. They're sitting in containers at the port, literally rotting. So they won't make it out this holiday season. Uh, This will have an effect on GDP. So this is going to be a very negative effect of this support slowdown, even though they say it's not a slowdown. You know, you can deny the obvious, but it's obvious. Well, it's actually gone one step further. uh, Some of the trucking companies have now are... uh, striking against the uh, port by not going into the port to pick up because the port won't give them appointments. So now they, instead of going in and picking up six to eight loads a day, they may not pick up anything. So they're going to other places and uh, taking over the road jobs and so on and staying away from the port. So even if it ended tomorrow, to get the drivers to come back is another issue. So it's it's, yep. it's highly contagious, uh, it's uh, Ebola industrial style, and um, yeah, you're right about th- that. And this is going to get worse before it gets better. So, not to belabor this, and uh, to start off this week uh, for Thanksgiving and give thanks to those things that we do have and not to those things we don't have. Why don't you introduce our uh, next guest, Tim? Great. I'm actually very excited about having Mike Galeazzo on the show. Mike is the president of the Regional Manufacturing Institute of Maryland, and Mike has taken a very interesting approach to uh, manufacturing and technology and all of those things that kind of turn the uh, gears and cogs in the machinery of manufacturing in America, and that is not just disruptive technology, because as Mike will point out, every technology is disruptive, but disruptive thinking. Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Mike, share with us your thoughts on disruptive thinking. I know you had an opportunity to introduce the governor recently, and and you went off on a great spin that got picked up in Industry Week. Share a little of that with us, would you please? (laughs) Well, excuse me. Actually, it was the mayor, Stephanie Rawlings Blake of Baltimore. They had a conference on manufacturing, and I was asked to introduce uh, Stephanie. So in the process, I decided to just share some, some insights, actually based on a, on, a, on a recent visit to a local manufacturer. And, and essentially, I just pointed out that it's time to change the conversation about manufacturing. And it's really time to point out very clearly the reason why manufacturing is so vitally important is because it truly is a ladder to middle class. And I know a lot of people know that and they talk about it, but we don't take it to the next step to think differently about how we make that happen uh, you know you know tim you and lou understand as do your as do the folks listening the importance of manufacturing what i don't see what i don't see is the kind of new thinking that that must occur 
in order to ensure the following. If we're going to have manufacturing, the benefit of that manufacturing operation should benefit individuals and communities. And in order to do that, we need to think differently. Okay. And when you say benefit individuals and communities, I know you have a great example. I'll let you share it with our audience about an individual working on an assembly line that nobody thought could possibly work on an assembly line because it's such a visual job. And, and why, why don't you sh- yeah, there's a there's a there's a manufacturer in Baltimore, Maryland called Acadia Windows and Doors. And when we were visiting with them, actually I was with Congressman Ruppersberger, uh, when we were visiting them for manufacturing day, what we what I, and I knew about this, but when you're there and you meet all the employees, Acadia decided that they wanted to wanted to develop their workforce around people with disabilities. So they thought differently. They didn't say, oh, how can we do this? They said, what are we going to do to make this happen? And one of the things that they were able to accomplish is they actually have a a woman who works on their production line who is 100% blind. And they figured out, the employees and the owners figured out a way to make that work. And and it does work. I was there. And it's just amazing when, when we put our mind to it, when we rephrase the question, now, what are we going to do to make this happen? We start coming up with solutions. Well, that's exactly the kind of thing we should be doing. You're right, Mike. Uh, as technology creeps in more and more on manufacturing and more and more things become automated, yep. certainly there's greater and greater pressure to take the human equation out of manufacturing. Uh, and I think that's going to be a detriment to America. And as you say, it, it could create more poverty. Would you agree? I, I, you know, obviously manufacturing is going to continue to be a part of how we how we manufacture things. But what we need to do is not just let that allow that to just occur without trying to be architects of systems that allow not just for the technology to be part of manufacturing, but for people to be part of that, and not just those people with higher level degrees. Uh, you know, I come from a blue collar district. I was just down at Sparrows Point. Maryland, where the old Beltham Steel was yesterday, where they kind of retired the steel plant. We we have 3,100 acres of land down there that's now open for industrial use, not for steel making, but for industrial use. And what we we just we just need to recognize that there is a need, and here's the reason why: poverty in America is growing, poverty amongst women is growing, poverty amongst children are growing, and if we don't have manufacturing that allows for family wages that can support a family the nation has a significant problem not manufacturing the nation i believe that if you could get the right architects thinking in the room about i don't mean physical buildings i'm talking about how do we take care of our people how do we take care of our industry how do we take care of our our communities i think it's going to require a different kind of disruptive thinking to the traditional thinking that used to tell us, well, this is the only way it can happen. We need to think differently. Government needs to be involved differently. I mean, obviously, government needs to be uninvolved in impeding manufacturing from going, but I think they can also be their, – their resources can be directed in a different way to help achieve a kind of next-generation American manufacturing uh, enterprise that we currently don't find. Well, Mike, here's here's a thought. Um, we have an issue this past week where uh, 
the um, uh, illegals uh, have been given a stay of execution of sorts. Uh, you've got uh, five million or more, figuring it's the government number, so it's probably not correct. Um, you've got 600,000 job, vacant jobs in manufacturing in the United States, which probably that number is going to go up because we're now doing reshoring. So we have more jobs coming back, uh, more work coming back, needing more jobs to add to the 600 vacancies, and we're now going to be deporting at some point millions of people who want to be here and want to be working and want to be trained for jobs. So who's the one who has to think out of the box here? That This just solved three problems. What's your thought on that? Who do we have to call? Well, I'm a big <laughs> That's a great. That's a great uh, point. Uh, let me just add to that too, if I may. We have ever increasingly number of kids coming out of high school who really aren't prepared, quite frankly, to come out of high school, and they're expected to be available to work in the marketplace. And, and we need to work with that issue too. We we need to make sure that that more and more people are ready to take on the positions that are out there. But let me back up just for a second before answering it. I think one of the problems for manufacturing, and I've been doing this for 25 years, is the image of manufacturing has been so negative that people fundamentally have stayed away from applying for, to work in manufacturing, and they were going elsewhere. But when, you know, when the economy, you know, fell and people started realizing that banking, insurance, and, and some of those other industries were not the place to go, people started looking at manufacturing again. So I think if we, if we help people to understand that manufacturing is a vital industry for the future of America, it's an industry in which people who, who, want to, who want to work with their hands, who want to think, who want to collaborate, who want to have a good-paying job, it's a place where they can go. We might get folks being more interested in applying to the training to, to get into those companies. Who should be doing that? I'd like to say the federal government, but I, I've had so much exposure to workforce programs that I think don't work that I just can't, I can't argue that. I think that the fact of the matter is, is that if we had a system that more directly put funds into the hands of the owners of the enterprise for training, that the training would be very targeted to the jobs that are related to that enterprise or to that company. Right now, I mean, I, I mean, I've probably spent 15 years in workforce training, and I think the results are fairly minimal given the amount of money that we've spent on it. So I'd say give the money to local, to local businesses, to local communities, and let them figure out how to best apply it to raise the skill levels of the people that they need. Well, that's a good. That's that's a good thought. Um, it, however, the government then would want to have private enterprise to give them um, a, a schedule, a program on well, how you're going to spend the money, and then it just okay. gets all muddied I, up. Well, here let's 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 look at this whole. Let's look at that situation with my so-called disruptive thinking. <clears throat> Think of a number that represents the cost of poverty. I really don't know what that is, but whatever that number is, not only is it great. It's, it's kind of exponential because, you know, poverty is going to breed poverty. If you give me a small percent of that amount of money that the government spends, there's a fact, there's a cost to that, and you give it to the private sector to remove somebody from poverty to employment, we essentially, we essentially are taking that debt away from the government. So I think that's a pretty darn that would be a good deal for a government that has serious problems right now in terms of in terms of uh, expenses. 
it, to me, it's kind of simple math. You know, in one case, we have a government that's spending a lot of money to keep people in poverty, quite bluntly, when we need a model. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.